Good morning, film fans. Because um, that's what I'm going to start calling you. <laughs> I'll probably forget next week and just call you something else. Uh, we're doing something a little bit different this morning on the MMLP Movie Mondays with Luke Pickett Podcast. For those listening only, I pointed to myself and said, Luke Pickett, because that's me. Uh, yeah, doing something a bit different this week. Um, not doing a specific movie analysis. Still drinking copious amounts of coffee. Um, and instead, I'm just going to kind of chat about movies and TV shows and things. Um, shaking it up a little bit. Won't lie. Partly it's a time constraint thing. Um, believe it or not, doing these movie analyses, if that's the pluralization, uh, does take a little bit of time. Because you've got however long the movie is. So in the case of The Batman... It's a three-hour movie. Uh, last week's episode was The Batman, if you haven't caught up yet. Go back, watch it on YouTube, listen to it on Spotify or wherever. It was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, the duration of the movie, three hours. And then uh, it's at least an hour worth of, you know, pausing the movie and me chatting. So three-hour movie becomes four-hour movie. I then have to edit it. The longer the movie, the more sort of, cuts or pauses I've got in between all that runtime uh, have to be edited down so the longer the editing takes you know depending the longer the movie um, it takes a little while and like I said before it's just myself so uh, this week's been hella busy um, for good reasons though uh, those of you that listen to this may or may not know that um, I do a little bit of acting here and there where I can because uh, I am an actor but you know a lot of Actors have to work other jobs at the same time to support their career ambitions. It's just the way it goes. Um, you got to stick in the fight. So, you know, uh, I've been fortunate enough that I've been doing some rehearsals and stuff for a show. That's been taking up a lot of my time. Learning the lines has been taking up a lot of my time. So it's not begrudgingly um, that I have changing the format this week. Uh, it's just out of necessity. But I hope you still like it. Anyway, that's enough rambling about shit you probably don't care about. Let's get on with the show. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what that was. I haven't really planned this out or thought this through. Um, I have a notebook, though. Oh, yeah, my notebook has three things written in it. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's just carry on with what I initially wanted to talk about. I want to talk about Rings of Power. The Lord of the Rings Amazon TV show. Um, I don't know what your opinion of it is, dear listener. You may have enjoyed it. You may have hated it. The general consensus I see online for non-like, we'll call them official reviews. So by official reviews, you know, critic responses to it, Rotten Tomatoes scores, maybe IMDb scores. I haven't checked what the IMDb score is. I'm pretty sure the Rotten Tomatoes score is high. But the general consensus from like to just the general public, general public reporting for duty, um, is not good. And then when you dive into the comment sections under any post on any form of social media, or like, you know, be it YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, any post relating to Rings of Power, there's just like a cesspool of nitwits and nimrods just a cesspool of these absolute nimrods just throwing their toys out of the pram, slating it, hating it. And I'm here to tell you, 
with all the authority in the world, which is none, that you're wrong. That show was wicked. And you're talking to a Tolkienite, a proper, proper Lord of the Rings fan. Look, if those on the visuals there, that behind me on my DVD shelf is because, yeah, I still do DVDs and Blu-rays. Yeah, I like material. I like to be able to hold the thing and look at the artwork. I mean, if you open that up and look at the artwork in there, it's insane. But that is the Lord of the Rings extended DVD box set. Um, I'm a proper nerd. Over there on that wall that you probably can't see is the map of Middle Earth. Um, down there on the book part of the shelf is the Lord of the Rings trilogy, The Hobbit and The Silmarillion. I bloody love it, I do. Anyway, um, you're all fucking idiots. Everyone that's like, no, elf shouldn't be black. Elf shouldn't have short hair. <laughs> you f I was just literally go fist yourself. You're so stupid. It's um, but yeah. All right. So actually, let's just comment on that quickly. Anything remotely related to um, equating that show as bad based on something like race or the you know the elves being black or whatever it is. First and foremost, just jump off the face of the earth. You don't deserve to be here. You're an absolute disgrace on the rest of humanity. And I hope you combust spontaneously. Um, that's all I'm going to say about that shit because it's overly negative for no reason. Um, however, just to... Actually, no, that's not all I'm going to say. In the books, to my understanding... Because I've, I've read all the Lord of the Rings. I've read the Silmarillion, but not for a few years. And I'm not going to lie, the Silmarillion, like, it's hard work getting through that book. I need to do a second read-through, and I haven't read it for about seven years. It's hard to get through, and I've forgotten a lot of it. Because where it's, it's like, anthologic. Anthologic? Is that the word? Anthological. Anthemomorphical. It's, um, you know, it's just stories here and there laid out since the dawn of, like, you know, the time of Middle-earth. With, you know, um, is it Eru? Eru, the god sort of figure creating it through sound. <coughs> and the burps are back. Um, yeah, all the way through to like, I don't know, does it, I don't think it quite catches up to the third age events of the Lord of the Rings. Either way, I'm sure there'd be a proper Tolkienite out there who's going to go, actually, what you said on your podcast was wrong. It's not the point, mate. The point I'm making is. I'm pretty confident that in the Lord of the Rings books, the Hobbit book, and the Silmarillion, when the elves are described, I don't believe it's ever said, these motherfuckers are white. I'm pretty sure it just says they are fair beings. Fair. So you could argue that might mean fair hair, like this blonde stuff on my head. It may mean fair of skin. But I'm pretty sure it doesn't ever actually say that. It just says fair. So fair could also be attributed to their grace and their personality and like their aura, you know? But also, the geezer that does play the elf in The Rings of Power, I can't remember his name, but you know the one I mean. He's the one that people on the internet seem to have a problem with because of the colour of his skin. You absolute mongoloids. Um... He's, I would say, he looks pretty fair, you know? I don't know if it's like the contact, he might be wearing contacts, they might be his actual eyes, but he looks pretty fair to me. I think he fits the description. There's people kicking off about the fact that he's basically got a bit of a buzz cut going on. 
I can't ever remember it being said in any of the books that elves specifically and unquestionably categorically always have to have long hair. I don't think that's ever been said in the books. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Please get at me in the comic sec- comment section um, or DM me or whatever and just say it nicely. Do it nicely because we're all about niceness here, apart from when I'm slagging off racists, but they deserve it. They're assholes. Um, yeah, I don't think that's ever been said. So, you know, quit your whining about that shit, really. Uh, but let's start talking about some of the positives. How bloody good is the costumes? When I saw that geezer's armor, that the elven geezer's armor, with all the, like, his um, chest plate thing is like this kind of wooded tree thing. There's there's definitely like a specific sort of Tolkien, um, you know, inspiration or iteration that that is like drawn from. Uh, but that was, oh, that's some cool ass armor, dude. It's not just like, so, oh, he's got some, you know, armor plate on that's you know in the shape of pecs and abs or whatever it's like some detailed legit armor the costume department must have like painstakingly slaved over to not only design but then build and that goes across the board for every costume and every bit of practical effects and makeup like how awesome do the orcs look man like i'm not gonna derail this and start talking about the hobbit too much like, as far as I'm concerned, Lord of the Rings, the trilogy, is absolute 10 out of 10. Amazing filmmaking. It's a, it's a master course in making films right. You know, practical effects, camera trickery, you know, for stuff like The Hobbits being smaller next to Gandalf, etc. And The Hobbit, there's good elements, especially of the first and second movie. Like, the riddles in the dark sequence with Gollum is basically word-for-word book-perfect. Um, but that's not to say that something is inherently bad when it's not word for word book perfect, uh, because not everything translates perfectly from page to screen. It just doesn't. They're different mediums. Not everything works that way. There's a lot of like exposition and internal monologue and that kind of thing that on paper, yeah, works fine. You know, like, uh, with Frodo in the Lord of the Rings books, for example, um, literally verbalizing how taxing and burdensome carrying the ring around his neck and all that sort of thing is whereas on screen you can't just have him monologuing about that you have to sort of show it with you know Peter Jackson uses a lot of like sort of uh, not quite slow motion it's almost like a jagged kind of frame rate sort of sequence with like heavy breathing and Elijah Wood looking all like he's about to pass out and all that kind of stuff. And that's a, that's basically doing what the the verbalization and the monologuing in the book is doing, but we're doing it in a different medium. So you just adapt it and change it. Sometimes that's the way you've got to go with it. Um, but I feel that the Hobbit, I, the Hobbit trilogy, I don't, I don't know why they would have done it, Maybe they thought it was going to be better, or maybe it was easier, or maybe it was a budgetary thing, maybe it was the studio interfering, whatever it was. Um, I think the work suffers for things being too, like, digitized. You know, like, a lot of the goblins and orcs, especially that Goblin King, Jesus Christ, they just don't look as good as the orcs and the goblins and everything in 
the Lord of the Rings and the Rings of Power. The the designs of the orcs and things and the Rings of Power is so good. It just looks visceral and real. And if anything, it makes the... Um, okay, so this is probably the biggest thing I've enjoyed the most about that show is like the color palette and the lighting. And when you have these these practical effects and this practical makeup and um yeah all that shit it it lives in that world better so what I, if that doesn't make sense what i mean by that is when you see it on screen with you know light sort of reflecting off of i don't know people's faces or in their eyes or whatever it just looks more it looks more real and you're you're focusing on that and everything going on as opposed to your brain going oh i can see that that looks like cgi it doesn't take you out of it 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 roots you in it because it seems more realer <laughs> um yeah so the color paletting ah oh, dude there were times i've only watched it through once i want to do a second watch through the whole rings of power series i mean um there were times literally where i was watching it and i just would say out, I was watching it by myself and I would just say out loud, but Jesus Christ, that looks amazing. Or just, oh my God, look at the lighting here. You know, a few examples would be, um, I believe it's when, I believe it was Galadriel and um, Hugo Weaving's character. Oh my God, Elrond. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, talking in like some sort of elvish woodland realm. I can't remember quite where it is. Um, and there was like a firework display or something. Like I need to watch it again to remember exactly the points. But it's it's in maybe the first or second episode. And they're talking in the woodland realm. And there's like an elven kind of firework display thing going on. And you just have all these lights dancing through the trees. You know, there's greens, there's blues, reds. Just all dancing through the tree. And I was just like, holy shit. That looks amazing. Or even uh, Galadriel going across the uh what what sea is it whatever sea it is is it on there on the map no it's not to the undying lands uh and that giant bright warm you know blinding light that's on the other side that she eventually sort of runs away from and, and heads back to middle earth uh it's just it's so stunning or or all the the fire and and the, you know the torches and the fire when is it Arda the um, the geezer that I initially spoiler alert the geezer that I initially thought was Sauron the first sort of villain of it the guy with black hair who the orcs call him father um, I can't remember his name I think it's Arda I might have that wrong uh, like I said I need to rewatch it um, when they attack that um, Southlands village at night you know and you have all this all this practical fire you know this real effects and the lighting setups and everything just it all looks so stunning it's just visually amazing there's no like just awful looking cgi or you know rough and rough and tough stuff it's all very deliberate and thought out and brilliantly well planned um but the reason that that like bright blinding light of Galadriel and things like that stood out to me is is when you read Tolkien's work the way he describes things you know it might be like 
his attention to detail is insane. But when he's describing things like lights, he's not just like, it was bright. It was bright and orange. Look how bright and orange it is. He talks about it almost emotively. He won't just be like, it was bright and orange. He'll be like, it was so bright that our childhood memories of warmth, you know, a warm hug from a parent came rushing back. Like, that's not obviously verbatim at all. I'm, I can't remember specifically what he said uh, in his writings to give you an example of it. But the way he describes things really, is it, it's not describing it in the way you would expect. Again, so bright orange light, it, it describes it almost emotively. And I really think that the makers of Rings of Power have given such an enormous attention to detail for trying to do justice to Tolkien's work in that sense. Similarly, like a lot of people, I say a lot of people, I've heard people before complain about the original Lord of the Rings trilogy saying that, oh, it's just Peter Jackson doing like a, a tour of New Zealand, like, oh, look at all these mountains in New Zealand and look at this New Zealand landscape and look how good my home country is. And it's like, that's such a repugnant view because, again, when you read Tolkien's work, he's so deliberate and at times almost painstakingly descriptive about every location, be it mountain ranges, woodland realms, dark towers in Mordor where Frodo gets taken after Sheila poisons him. You know, everything is given a real lived-in description that, that that's what I think Peter Jackson was doing well, is he's not, you know, when you got the fellowship walking up the mountain, you get the ba ba da ba ba da ba It's not just done to show a passage of time you know it's not like just a montage of these people walking up the mountain that is partly what it's serving the purpose that it's serving but it's also i think it's also lending itself to um almost like paying tribute or making sure it is you know giving its dues to tolkien's very uh, purposeful descriptions of the landmarks and and all of that. If that didn't make sense, yeah, you'll get over it. Um, so to bring that back to Rings of Power, yeah, to bring that back to Rings of Power, um, I do think that they've taken a leaf out of either, you know Peter Jackson's book or just uh, they've paid attention to how Tolkien would describe things and 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 trying to do it as best justice they could. So I think in that sense, it's it's knocking it out of the park. The costume, the lighting, the sets, it's all just sensational. Um, so when it comes down to, you know, story beats or character arcs, um, or, you know, all right, taking liberties, I suppose, with... Uh, the text, as in, you know, the Tolkien text, not the screenplay script text for Rings of Power, the Tolkien text. Um, sometimes it just comes down to the fact that they don't have the rights to put on screen a lot of the stuff as it was. So I, I believe, 
Amazon Studios has bought the rights for The Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, and I think it's, uh, what is it? Is it The Unfinished Tales or something? Uh, it's basically, it's not The Silmarillion. I'm pretty sure they don't have the rights to The Silmarillion. So they can't put things on screen exactly the way that they appear in the books. Not 100% and not with every plot line and not with every story and not with every element of it. They they legally can't because the Tolkien estate is, you know, keeping those cards close to their chest. Um, you know, it's the Tolkien estate. They can do what they want. Um, I do wish they would be a little bit more uh, generous with J.R. Tolkien's work. I can understand it from their viewpoint, though, that they, you know, it's pre precious it's precious to them and they maybe don't want to tarnish it or ruin it or whatever so yeah totally makes sense uh you know but it would be nice if we could get the Silmarillion like oh dude to see um is it Baron and Lothian I'm, I've probably pronounced it wrong but the love story in this if you're not familiar with the love story in the Silmarillion where he's a human she's an elf it's what Aragorn talks about in I think it's in the fellowship um when he's singing that song and one of the hobbits asks him oh what's that about and he you know he says uh, she the elven woman uh gave her gave her love and gave up her immortality to be with Baron uh and then you know she died as a result it's it's that story um uh, where Baron um I believe the, I can't remember, the, this, one of the elf lords says that he's only allowed to, he'll only give blessing on, on their courtship if um, he returns with one of the Silmarillion stones in his hand. And spoiler alert, there's this giant wolf, I can't remember the name of it, this giant wolf that he sort of ends up fighting. And he has the Silmarillion stone in his hand, the wolf bites off his hand. And then when they go back to the elf lord, He's like, yeah, I told you I'd have it in my hand. I do have it in my hand. Just my hand is in a wolf's belly. And <laughs> it's like a little sort of... That love story is up there for the two best love stories of all time, right? In third place, we have Romeo and Juliet. And then tied for first and second, we have that love story and True Romance... Um, written by Quentin Tarantino because I can't go one podcast without referencing Quentin Tarantino but directed by the late great Tony Scott brother of Ridley Scott that's the other best love story on the planet um, yeah like seeing that on screen would just be like oh. but unfortunately the Tolkien estate don't want to do it alright whatever back to my original point after that mahusive tangent is that um I I don't mind them, therefore, taking liberties and changing things slightly. Like I said before, some things don't translate well from page to screen. Like Tom Bombadil, absolutely amazing character. He would have been so hard to translate from page to screen. And it almost would have changed the tone of the film, um, of, you know, The Fellowship of the Ring and that. Um, it could have been done. I would... Don't get me wrong, I'd love to see it, but you can almost understand why, for reasons other than just cutting down the monolithic runtime of those movies, they edited him out, but also just trying to adapt that motherfucker in would have been difficult in and of itself. Um, 
so yeah, for reasons like that. But also, um, you know, Chris, slight tangent, but it feeds into my greater point. Chris Nolan's Batman movies, right? I went to see The Dark Knight Rises uh, with a group of friends at the time. And as soon as it finished, I was like, absolutely brilliant. Bravo. What a fucking blockbuster. That was amazing. And one or two of them were straight away sourpuss complaining, bitching, moaning about, um, pardon me, about stuff like they got Bane wrong. That's a direct quote from someone that I watched it with. They got Bane wrong. Um, no, they altered Bane from what you see. Because if you're not familiar, Bane in the comic books, he has that like venom shit pumps into him um, that basically give him those like Hulkamania super steroid things where he then, you know, fucking turns into this absolute freak. I've butchered that. There'll definitely be a comic book nerd listening to it going, you know what you hear in your podcast? What's wrong? Just get out of your mum's basement and then we'll have a conversation, yeah? Anyway. Oh, water's good though, isn't it? Mmm. Lovely. Um, so this is what something that for the Batman Begins and The Dark Knight, people absolutely applauded Chris Nolan for was, and he's left his fingerprints on the comic book universe be it marvel or dc forevermore by taking the sort of the 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 warping of reality and the harder to believe elements and trying to make them as realistic and believable as possible it's a lot more grounded and and real and i think without chris nolan's trilogy doing that we wouldn't have the joker we wouldn't have the Robert Pattinson, Matt Reeves, Batman, which I commented on in my last podcast. You can go back and listen and or watch it. Uh, I don't think we would have those. We may have those, um, but I think a studio like Warner Brothers would be less inclined to risk putting something out like that if Nolan's movies weren't phenomenally successful. So, with the Bane thing, he altered Bane slightly to fit his more realistic approach and narrative um so and you know changed a few of the plot lines um and i don't mind them changing a few of the plot lines from what you get in the comics because otherwise it's boring and it's predictable and you know where it's going because you can read the comics and you can have that storyline and you can enjoy that storyline and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But then, unless you're doing a direct from that to screen adaptation, pardon me, you know, like, for example, The Killing Joke, which I haven't seen the the animated movie version of The Killing Joke yet, um, but I have that somewhere. Down here. There you go. That's The Killing Joke. Um, for those just listening, I'm holding up a comic book version of The Killing Joke. Awesome. It's basically the Joker's origin story. It's widely considered to be, um, you know, the Joker's origin story. There's a few different ones out there, but I think I'm pretty sure the fan base would consider this to be the sort of like the one, you know? Um, and that's the thing as well, right? I'm, I'm all over the map here, but bear with me, right? You've got all these different... I think this is Frank Miller, the same guy that did Sin City, which... 
I also have down here. <laughs> um, you know, you've got different comic book writers that will come up with different storylines and change things around anyway. There's so many different interpretations of things like Batman and that, that um, when a director then comes to do their own thing of it, I'm happy for them to take some liberties, change some plot lines, change some character origins, X, Y, Z, because it's giving us something new. So we're not sat there going, well, the suspense that they're creating in this scene isn't going to be very effective because I know for a fact that that character's going to survive because at the end of the movie, me, 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 me. Like, pfft, you've already fucking seen it. So give me something that's going to keep me on the edge of my feet and keep me guessing on the edge of my feet. on Keep me on my toes. Keep me on the edge of my seat. And keep me on my toes became keep me on the edge of my feet. <laughs> um... Yeah, it's, I, it's better that, you know, when you're doing a direct interpretation of the Lord of the Rings, of course, at the end, we want the ring to end up in Mount Doom via Frodo, Sam and Gollum and all of that to happen. Of course we do, because you've told the audience you're doing a direct movie adaptation of those books. However, Rings of Power has never said, see, now we're getting back on track. You see all that tangenting? Rings of Power has never actively said we're doing a direct interpretation of XYZ bits of the literature. They haven't said that. So I then say, okay, they clearly pay attention to Tolkien's themes and the way he writes, marked by my earlier points about, you know, the costumes, the characters, uh, the set designs, the lighting, etc., they clearly, they clearly understand the way Tolkien writes. So then because of the legalities when it comes down to, uh, you know, the Tolkien estate withholding certain storylines, characters, whatever, from them, their only choice then is to inter do their own interpretations of it. And I think they are towing the line as closely as they can to what would be considered, you know, like historically accurate Tolkien. But I'm also open then for them to throw some new things at us because it's exciting. Like, spoiler alert if you haven't watched Rings of Power, but the dude who ends up being Sauron, I didn't see that coming. Apparently I'm dumb because loads of other people watching it did see it coming. I didn't see it coming. I thought he was going to be the Witch King, the Witch King of Angmar, which oh, you can't see the map from here. But if you don't know about it, it's basically, if you've seen the map of Middle-earth, Mordor down there, Gondor just here, Rohan and Isengard are sort of up here, and then Hobbiton and the Shire and all that is up here, right? I hope this is still within camera frame. Angmar is over there to the north, and then over here is where uh, Bilbo and all the dwarves went in The Hobbit, right? So it's up here. Um, there's, at certain points in Middle-earth's history, the Witch King basically holds domain over that land up there. I thought he was going to end up being that um, as opposed to King of the Southlands down here, which if you've seen Rings of Power, you know the Southlands now becomes Mordor. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I thought he was going to be like that. Um, I, I can't remember from reading the Silmarillion or anything if that is how Sauron comes about, you know, the way that the Rings of Power did it. But if it's not, I don't mind. Because if I want to go and read how Tolkien did it, I can go and read how Tolkien wrote it. 
But then watching Rings of Power, I was like, oh, fuck, that dude's... Oh, shit, son. You know? <laughs> it was a nice plot twist, and it kept me engaged and kept me interested. So I don't really mind that they changed it. Like I said, they kind of had to because the Tolkien estate forced their hand. Is what it is. Um, so that's half an hour of me defending Rings of Power. Um, I loved it. I thought, what? what's her name who plays Galadriel? At, don't get me wrong. At first, whenever someone is doing a new interpretation of a really well-established character, especially when the original actor to play them is Kate fucking Blanchett. Dude, is there... There are few actors on the planet with as gravitationally enormous presence as Kate Blanchett. When she's on screen, you're like, holy fuck. You know what I mean? She just, boom, brings it. Like, when she pops up in The Hobbit, you're like, oh, fuck, Kate's on screen now. Pay attention. Do you know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, when you're stepping into them enormous boots, um, I was a little bit, not skeptical, but like, okay, you better bring your A game. Um, and this, um, oh, I'm really sorry, I can't remember her name, the one who plays her, the Galadriel in the Rings of Power. I can't remember the actress's name. But what sold it for me is when she ends up in Numenor and she's talking to the Queen Regent. And um, I can't remember verbatim what she says, but she's like, I will not answer to you, Regent. And like, spits the word Regent at her. Like, just from like an acting perspective, like her use of, like the way she gets her mouth around those words and like stabs Regent into her. It's like she's using that as a, as an insult to take her down a peg. Like, it's like a venomous jab. And I was like, bam, that's Galadriel. That's Galadriel right there. Like, that sold it for me. I was like, yep, cool, you pass, continue, as you were. That was that was cool. Um, the geezer who plays... Why do I keep forgetting his name? Holy shit, Elrond. The geezer who plays Elrond is also the geezer who played the young Ned Stark in Game of Thrones. Oh, pardon me. In those flashback sequences. Um, yeah, he's, he's doing a pretty good job. Um, I would almost argue that he's not been given... He's been he's definitely been giving stuff to do. Like I, I like the storyline that he's got with the with the dwarfs. Um I do like that storyline. Uh, that there was also some hilarious interactions um with him and um Oh, it's not Balin, is it? Bloody hell, what dwarf is it? So there's gonna be people listening to this going, I thought you're supposed to know what you're talking about when it comes to Tolkien. You don't even know the name of the fucking dwarf. Um yeah, dude, I forget shit. Get over it. Um Whatever that dwarf is, <laughs> hilarious interactions, especially with his wife. Um, like when he's like, he's not staying for tea. And then his wife is just like, would you like some food? Or what? I, can't, I can't remember how it goes or whatever, but their, their interactions literally had me rolling. It was very funny. Uh, and it's without, It's it doesn't seem like it's shoehorned in humor, right? Like, just slight tangent here. Uh, the new Thor, Love and Thunder. Definitely has its good parts. Definitely has its bad parts. Definitely has a few parts where you're like, you did not need to shoehorn in a bit of humor there. Just for the sake of the gag. You know? Sometimes you got to trim the fat. 
and get rid of some of the shit that doesn't really work or isn't very funny or whatever and just do your audience a favor and fucking get around it as quickly as you can says the guy who rambles endlessly about the same point and says the same thing nine different ways that's me but yeah um so the humor that they're in that they have injected into rings of power um doesn't feel forced it does feel uh you know very good and very thought out um oh and the hobbits i haven't even or the the halfets i haven't even commented on them yet dude i started crying um at a couple of points just see this is this is them absolutely understanding tolkien's work again um so shame on those that say it's an abomination to the subject matter go fish yourself they really do understand it because so much of Tolkien stuff especially like the Samwise and Frodo stuff is all about just like doing what's right and being honorable to your friends and and you know helping people helping your friends xyz and just they are the heartbeat of the series if if you've heard me say that before if you've heard that expression before the heartbeat of a film or the heartbeat of a series is normally like the purest most innocent um most sort of well-meaning character like i'll use the same example i used before sharon tate in once upon a time in hollywood the tarantino movie uh is tarantino's outwardly said she's the heartbeat of that movie um so these halfets are the heartbeat of it and there's so many points where they're they're just verbalizing and embodying all that all those sort of nice um tolkien-esque uh points those talking us points whatever i think you get what i mean you know not only just because the fact that they help the wizard um who is that gandalf is that saruman i don't i thought i think they're trying to suggest to us slight side tangent i think they are trying to make that be gandalf um but i'm pretty sure saruman was an older wizard he's definitely you know the head of the order of the wizards or whatever they call it initially so i was like but wouldn't it make more sense if he is saruman um yeah i don't know i kind of hoped he would be one of the blue wizards um because there's very little even written about those two but apparently those two are under wraps in the tolkien estate as well so we won't even see those on screen the only three we'll ever get is saruman Gandalf and Radagast um oh yeah again talking about taking liberties like I said before the Hobbit has plenty of merits but plenty of problems as well the trilogy of movies I mean not the book the book's perfect um it's never once said in the books that Radagast rides a sleigh that's pulled by bunnies but I don't mind that it, that's in the film I thought that was quite cool <laughs> um yeah, so I don't know who that wizard is. Uh, but yeah, all the stuff, you know, them helping him and all that and doing the right thing and, and helping their fellow neighbor and stuff. Yeah, there were so many points where I was just like, oh, they understand it. It just gets you in the feels. It gets you in the Tolkien feels, man. Um, or at least it did for me because I fucking cry at anything these days. What else can we say about... Ah, 
probably the most Tolkien thing ever put on screen is in the Rings of Power. You get the elf putting his hand on the tree and crying and saying an elvish prayer or whatever to the tree before he has to cut it down. Does it get any more Tolkien than that? I don't think so. I literally saved... Ah, I'm using my phone to record this. I literally saved a thing on my phone the other day that was a Tolkien quote. Um, and it reminded me of the Lorax. You know, the Lorax thing, like, I speak for the trees. It was it's something to that effect from Tolkien. And I was just like, yeah, they um, they get it, man. Something as simple as that. You know, it, that's, I can't remember what episode that is. It might be episode three or four when um, a few of the elves have been captured by the orcs and they're using them to clear that trench, uh, you know, from the, the mountain down to the Southlands and stuff for when on the, the episode before the last one, when that all kicks off and Mordor is created. Um, yeah, they're using them for that and there's a tree in the way and the orcs are like, we need to cut down that tree, you ladder. And... Uh, yeah, he, he hops up on there and is like, I will do it. And then he goes to cut it down and he starts like crying and puts his hand on it. I was like, that is, if that's not understanding your subject matter and, you know, and understanding the, the way Tolkien is, the way he writes, then I don't know what is. So, after 42, nearly 43 minutes, I hope I've done enough to convince you well, I don't care, actually. These are just my opinions. Think of what you want. You could be unconvinced. You could completely, 100% disagree with everything I've said. Um, I really enjoyed Rings of Power. I thought it was so damn good. And again, just to recap, uh, most of the acting in it is great. Most of it is. There's a few that were... But, you know, is what it is. Um, the character relationships are great, you know. Um, Elrond and, and the dwarves, all that sort of stuff. The pompous assness of, is it Celeborn, the head of the elves in this? King of the elves? I think it was Celeborn. The pompous assholiness, like, the, he's nailed that. Um, you know, Gladriel, absolutely fucking regent. How good she is. Um, all the guys on Numenor, um, uh, the Hobbits. It's all just... All the acting is to a T. The set designs and set layouts. The lighting. The cinematography. The costume departments. I've already said that. It's all absolutely ping-pong-tiddly wicked. Uh, and yeah, if, you know, if, if you're as small-minded as to think that it's not a good show because... There's some people of colour in it. Just take a long walk off a short pier. Preferably into shark-infested waters. But then you'll probably give all the sharks diarrhoea. Because you're so full of shit. Uh, yeah, go, go fuck yourself. If you're remotely small-minded enough to think that that's worth taking umbrage about. Uh, but, you know, then if you've got issues with the series for slightly more legitimate reasons you know like diversions from the original plot lines in the text again throw them a little bit of slack 
the Tolkien estate keeps things pretty close to their chest. And also, you know, just enjoy the fact that you're getting new versions of these stories and new plot points. Just look at it from that perspective. If you if you want to treasure the originals, you know, the original stories and, and things, you still can. You can go back and read them. You can listen to them on audiobook. There, there is Andy Serkis's Lord of the Rings trilogy audiobook and Hobbit audiobook are fucking brilliant and he's soon to be releasing a Silmarillion one as well there is already an audiobook of the Silmarillion out there but likewise there are other audiobooks of the Lord of the Rings but the circus ones are so goddamn good if you're not sure who Andy Circus is where the fuck have you been he plays Gollum precious stupid fat hobbitses um fucking absolute king absolute king Andy Circus. I'm a huge circus fan but his audiobooks are so good because he provides everyone with a bit of characterization, right? So I think I heard him say in an interview there's something like 156 or 158 individual characters that have spoken dialogue in those books. And he literally will try and make everyone sound, you know, a little bit different, have their own way of talking, their own, you know, levels of aggression or softness in their voice or graveliness or accent you know regional accent you know so when especially in scenes where there's several people having a conversation he makes it very easy to follow because everyone is distinctly different uh, and then also he really brings the the words of the page alive pardon me um you know even when it's not dialogue when he's just describing something he really gets his mouth around the words and and you know brings it alive off the page um so you you can go and and listen to the original tales or read the original tales if you want to but don't begrudge this series because points differ you know it's in like i've said it's it's exciting when things differ it keeps you on your feet um and all that so yeah uh i'll probably wrap it up there i was going to start talking about um house of the dragon and and or if i ran out of time but maybe i'll save those for another another pod because we're already like 50 odd well nearly 50 minutes in um yeah i haven't done too much in the way of well i haven't done any really analysis um but i feel like i've spoken enough about elements of the films uh or sorry elements of the tv show and that that hopefully uh you enjoyed this one um i might do a few more of these here and there especially when time is tight uh it's just a bit easier for me to knock these out than it is to do those big film analyses like i said at the start um but yeah i hope you liked it and uh stay safe out there and watch movies watch movies watch tv shows just you know there's so much amazing art out there that just go enjoy it if you're not already. I assume you are if you're listening to a podcast like this. Uh, yeah, please do um, rate, review, subscribe. Um, I think I'm a little bit hard to find on YouTube because if you search MMLP, you normally get the Marshall, Ma- Marshall Mathers LP you know, Eminem's album, <laughs> which I didn't realize would happen when I came up with MMLP 
for Movie Mondays with Luke Pickett. I didn't realize that at the time. Um, oops. So you may have to literally search for Movie Mondays with Luke Pickett to get the YouTube one up. Um, if not, just go on my social media. Um, on Instagram, I believe it's Movie Mondays dot with Luke Pickett or Movie Mondays with dot Luke Pickett. Might be Movie dot Mondays with Luke Pickett. Something like that. Or you could just MMLP. Or you can find my um, acting page. I'm not going to ask you to subscribe to my acting page. You can if you want. Um, I would appreciate it. I don't have that many followers. Um, but that is easier to find. And then through there you can find the MMLP one. Um, the at for my acting one is at the Nomad Actor. N-O-M-A-D Actor. Nomad is in travels around a lot because I do. Uh, or just Luke Pickett and it should come up. Um, other than that, yeah, try MMLP, Movie Mondays with Luke Pickett, uh, and find the Instagram one that way. And then once you have that Instagram profile or even the Twitter, likewise, you can find it through the same sort of searches. There's a link tree link in the bio, in the bio description of my page. So click on the link tree link. That will then take you to um, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Deezer, and all those places where you can listen and watch. So, and yeah, and please do subscribe to the social media platforms, the Insta, the Twitter. Those are the only two. Uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel, please. Um, just help me help me build and grow. Um, yeah. Peace and love to you all. Um, and just to reiterate, if you are remotely racist, go fuck yourself.